From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello and welcome to Washington Watch. I'm Eben Fowler, Vice President of Operations at Bot Radio Network. I'm filling in today for Tony. Glad to be here and so glad to be with you. We got a big program today, lots of great topics coming up. While the Biden administration may be hoping that Americans forget about last year's debacle in Afghanistan, they're having no such luck. Recently released documents from an Army investigative report reveal the U.S. military's frustration with the White House and State Department officials over the evacuation effort in Afghanistan. What are the takeaways from the report? We'll be talking about that with U.S. Congressman Pat Fallon from Texas. He's a member of the House Armed Services Committee, and we'll also talk with him about the Russia-Ukraine standoff. And the left is working hard to commit the U.S. government to advance gender ideology, deprioritizing religious freedom and free speech. And the latest effort in the House of Representatives will be up for a vote soon. What will be called the so-called Global Respect Act due to foundational human rights. We'll discuss this with Mary Beth Waddell, FRC's Director of Federal Affairs, who has been tracking this one. And speaking of human rights, Olympic athletes are being sent to quarantine hotels after testing positive for COVID. And according to the athletes, China is keeping them in unreasonable quarantine conditions and feeding them rather cruddy food as well, if you've seen any of the pictures. Should we be surprised? Well, China expert Gordon Chang will join me later in the program to talk about that. And you've probably heard about the SAFE Act, also known as the Save Adolescents from Experimentation Act. It protects minors from harmful, experimental, and irreversible gender transition procedures. Well, earlier today, the state of Missouri, which is where I live, was presented with its version of this important legislation. We'll talk with a Missouri legislator who's leading the way on this in her state, Representative Susie Pollack. And finally, some good news out of Indiana, where a radical proposed ordinance threatened to crush churches and local ministries who are involved in biblical counseling. We'll get the latest from Dr. Steve Viers. He's the senior pastor of Faith Church in West Lafayette, Indiana. A few housekeeping notes here. You can find the details of this show and any past shows at TonyPerkins.com. So if you miss any part of today's program or any other days for that matter, you'll be able to find it on the website, TonyPerkins.com. Uh, with social media, you never know who's going to be censored or deplatformed. So to stay in touch with us, text the word STAND, S-T-A-N-D, to 67742. That way we can stay in contact with you and send you updates and alerts on news, events, and resources. Uh, and also, I'd encourage you to download FRC's Stand Firm app. You can listen to Washington Watch on the app and read the latest from the FRC team. More importantly, you'll get alerts at the federal and state level so you can take action on important issues. Visit frc.org app, that's frc.org app, or type stand firm where you get your apps. And this week, FRC Action will be hosting a couple of events in North Carolina for anybody considering running for local office, especially at that very important school board level. There will be an event in Raleigh tomorrow and in Charlotte on Thursday of this week. To register for either one, visit frcaction.org schools. 
And if you're not in North Carolina, and I'm sure a bunch of you are not, you can still go to that link to access all the online tools and resources that are there. Again, it's frcaction.org slash schools. Well, let's jump into our first topic today. In the months leading up to the fall of Kabul, Afghanistan, President Biden assured the American public that the military withdrawal from Afghanistan would not be hasty and that the Taliban's takeover was unlikely. Well, of course, looking back on that, we know that both statements proved to be false. We'll not conduct a hasty rush to the exit. We'll do it, we'll do it responsibly, deliberately, and safely. Is a Taliban takeover of Afghanistan now inevitable? No, it is not. Likelihood there's going to be a Taliban overrunning everything and owning the whole country is highly unlikely. Well, uh, despite that, even after all that happened in Afghanistan, the president didn't describe the pullout as a debacle. Actually, according to the president, and only in his world and in his mind, it was an extraordinary success. The extraordinary success of this mission was due to the incredible skill, bravery, and selfless courage of the United States military and our diplomats and intelligence professionals. Uh, yeah, whatever bravely is. Uh, well, an American investigative report recently released to the Washington Post and first reported by Axios is now revealing the U.S. military's frustration with the White House and State Department officials over the evacuation effort in Afghanistan. With me now to talk about this and more is U.S. Representative Pat Fallon. He serves on the House Armed Services and Oversight Committees, and he represents the 4th Congressional District of Texas. Welcome, Congressman Fallon. Great to have you back on the program. Thanks, Evan. I appreciate it. So let's start out. Uh, the investigation that uh, we talked about here a moment ago was launched in response to the August 26th suicide bombing that killed about 170 Afghan civilians. And of course, we know uh, very, very unfortunately, 13 U.S. service members just outside Kabul's international airport. But the picture it shows is so much bigger. Uh, tell us about the report. What does it tell us? Well, you know, we suspected, Evan, when we were having committee hearings about this debacle, it was really a catastrophe, that the president wasn't listening to the people he was supposed to be and should have been listening to, which was the military. This was a military matter. And in military matters, who should you listen to? Diplomats, the press, your, your leftist ideologues, or maybe the military. The military advised him to keep 2,500 troops on the ground. They said without 2,500, at least, they would have preferred more, but at least 2,500 troops, they could not hold Kabul Airport, the embassy, and Bagram Air Base. And the State Department wanted to go, go down to 600 troops. And the State Department won out. The president listened to them. It was a huge, major mistake because the military, when you're do, uh, conducting this kind of a, an, a withdrawal operation, you want to keep the troops, it makes sense to keep the troops uh, there, and they're the last ones to leave not some of the first, and he did it in reverse, much like he puts America last and not America first on a lot of other uh, policies, both domestic and foreign. But anyhow, be that as it may, um, when we saw this report, it really confirmed exactly what our greatest fears were, that he wasn't listening to the people he should have. So uh, Emily Horn, a spokesperson for the National Security Council, downplayed the weight of the documents that came out and, and told Axios that, uh, quote unquote, cherry pick notes from one meeting do not reflect the months of work uh, that were already underway. And my understanding is from this information that's come out is that it showed 
essentially a uh, nearly total lack of any foresight or planning on the part of the administration. Yeah, you got to hand it to them. This administration is pretty darn good at spin. They'll say one thing and need another, or they'll just, they just can't come out and say, you know what, we made a mistake, we'll do it differently next time. We've learned. They just always double down or triple down or quadruple down and say, no, we did everything perfectly. No, you didn't. You drew an arbitrary, uh, you fabricated a line in the sand on yourself. You had this mysterious red line. I don't know why he did that. And, you know, there was a lot at stake here. There were 5,000 scumbag prisoners being held in Bagram. And when we couldn't hold it anymore, the military left. A few weeks later, all of those folks broke out. And I asked General Milley, and I asked Secretary Austin, and I asked, I asked CENTCOM as well in an in a Armed Services Committee hearing if they could guarantee the American people that none of those 5,000 prisoners were involved in the attack that killed, as you said, the 170 Afghan civilians and 13 of our service members. None of them could guarantee that they weren't a part of it. And I also asked, of the 70,000 or so folks from Afghanistan that have now come to the United States, both evacuees and refugees, can you guarantee the American people that none of those 70,000 include any of those 5,000 that were terrorists and criminals being held at Bagram? They also said no. So there are consequences to this lack of really professionalism, expertise, planning, and leadership. And the American people are bearing the brunt of it now. So, you know, it appears, again, that, that the administration itself uh, was not prepared for this, that they were grossly incompetent. But then I, I recall some testimony before Congress from both Secretary Austin as well as, well as General Milley, and I wasn't terribly impressed with their answers. Do you recall that testimony? I recall a lot of what I heard. I mean, first of all, they wouldn't even come out and admit that they advised uh, Mr. Biden to have 2,500 troops remain. They just wouldn't acknowledge it. They said, well, we don't discuss what we told the president. Why? I mean, that, that, that's, that's the crux of the issue here, is you cannot conduct a military evacuation without military members. Um, and they just kept pointing fingers. And by the way, I mean, Evan, this is one of the largest military catastrophes in American history. And no one, to my knowledge, has even lost their job. There's no accountability. Everybody passes the buck. And then Biden claims victory. It's a joke. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Uh, no, nobody has lost their job, and they uh, a number of them should have. Uh, you know, one of the things that that I understood, I interviewed uh, David Barton, and I don't know if you know who David is. David, yes, uh, I know David. was Good working. Okay, yeah, he was working uh, with Glenn Beck to. He was one of the organizations that got apparently thousands of people out of Afghanistan. And I interviewed David about this whole situation, and one of the things that was the most frustrating to him, and I also heard. Glenn Beck talk about this was the biggest obstacles that they had were our own State Department. Yes. Yeah. I mean, let's so let's talk about that for a minute because there were a lot of we wanted to get the American American citizens out first. We also wanted to get the Afghani evacuees. Let me describe what I'm talking about: the difference between an evacuee and a refugee. The evacuee was somebody who we knew who had spent their time, talent, and uh, treasure in some instances to support the cause of American interests and the cause of freedom and liberty. And if they remained in Afghanistan, their lives were in danger. Those are the folks, our allies, that we, I feel, have a moral obligation to bring, uh, get out of the country and bring the United States. Uh, we failed to do that in, a, in large measure in Vietnam, and we cannot continue to have a pattern of doing that because then no one will work with us on the international stage moving forward. So those are evacuees. Then you have refugees. 
people, we just don't know who they were. They ended up on aircraft. And there's no excuse. We should have had any refugees leave. It should have been only evacuees and American citizens. And what I saw was, Evan, a lot of even left-leaning journalists, and I know (laughs) that's being a bit redundant there, but they were furious because the State Department blew this. The State Department had an utter lack of really caring, and they they showed immense inhumanity uh, that that some folks, that the interpreters that the journalists had used in, in past years, they wanted to get those people out. The State Department wasn't helpful. In fact, they weren't inhibiting the evacuations because I felt, I really believe it was political, and they felt if other people were getting out via civilian means, like David Barton was a hero in all this, one of many, that they would be looked, they would be front, they, they would be exposed and they would look bad. And this isn't about looking bad. This is about getting good people out because this is about saving lives and, uh, and getting them out of the clutches of the Taliban. Absolutely. And it's uh, it's so sad that uh, politics gets in front of saving lives so many times. Uh, so I've got about 30 seconds. Do you know how many more Americans are stuck in Afghanistan right now and other people who should come out? About 30 seconds, Representative. Yeah, thanks, Evan. We, we ask this question constantly in the administration and the State Department. Just we're not sure. We, we think that when they say 100, then they'll usually come out a few weeks later and they'll say, oh, I mean, we meant 500. Or if they say 500, it's 1,000. So whatever the number is currently, you can pretty much double or triple it. Yeah. Well, Representative Fallon, thank you so much for coming on the program today and for this update. We appreciate it. God bless. Thanks, Evan. God bless. Well, coming up, the left is working to commit the U.S. government to advance gender ideology, deprioritizing religious freedom and free speech. And the latest so-called Global Respect Act. What do you need to know about this? Well, we'll find out right after the break. Don't go away. And thanks for listening today to Washington Watch. We'll see you in a couple of minutes. Can a Facebook post, a tweet, or an Instagram picture really change a person's mind? At Family Research Council's 17th Annual Pro-LifeCon Digital Action Summit, pro-life activists from around the country will gather to explore the impact that digital media has on the culture's view of human life. On this year's program, you will hear from political leaders, bloggers, journalists, and activists who will share how they've used social media as a tool to further the pro-life message. You'll be educated and empowered to better reach your own communities by learning best practices from those who are at the cutting edge of the digital pro-life movement. With this innovative information, anyone can make an impact for the pro-life movement anytime and anywhere. Stay informed and take action by going to ProLifeCon.org. Again, visit ProLifeCon.org for more information. Here's a moment of Hope for Your Home with Jerry and Becky Drace. What is love? Well, listen again to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 3. Though I give all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. Would you like to teach your family the true meaning of giving out of love? Then teach them this. A gift given in love is a treasure. Otherwise, the gift has little value. If you set the example of giving in love, then you will see an improved atmosphere filtering through your home. Let us suggest that your family serve maybe in a soup kitchen or good clothes or good toys to somebody who really needs them. Another good suggestion is to put together a survival bag to hand out to somebody in the street corners. Remember, a gift of service done out of love may be the most valuable gift your family can give. 
Love increases the value of the gift. Learn more about the ministry of Jerry and Becky Drace at hopeforthehome.org. The following are real-life stories from Trinity Debt Management. My story begins with debt, a lot of debt. I used my credit cards as a source of income. It was not a good situation. I couldn't pay my bills. The interest on the cards was really high. If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. I initially was scared to call, and immediately I felt relieved. They contacted all of our creditors, and they put us on a plan for success. Trinity will consolidate your accounts into one easy-to-manage monthly payment, reduce your interest, and possibly improve your credit score. You'll save thousands. I've been able to pay off close to $15,000. We're doing a lot better. Please pick up the phone and see how affordable and easy it is to pay off your debt. It's a godsend. We're debt-free for keeps. Call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. That's 1-800-788-1813. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Evan Fowler with Bot Radio Network sitting in today for Tony. Glad to be here and glad you're with us. Uh, stick with us for the rest of the program. We have some great topics. If you uh, weren't with us at the very beginning, uh, some really informative information. And here's the next one. The House of Representatives is preparing to vote on the so-called Global Respect Act, also known as H.R. 3485. That would enable visa bans against foreign individuals accused of violating the rights of LGBT identifying persons and require the U.S. State Department to designate a senior officer to track violence and discrimination against LGBT identifying individuals abroad. As my next guest will share, the bill is not only unnecessary, more importantly, it will inevitably derail the protection of foundational human rights with which these new LGBT, quote, rights will be de- uh, will be seen to conflict. Uh, it sounds pretty confusing, but joining me now to unpack this is Mary Beth Quadell. She's Director of Federal Affairs for Family and Religious Liberty here at the Family Research Council. Mary Beth, welcome. Thanks. Great to be here with you. All right. So in, in the intro there, I was kind of confused myself, no doubt. Uh, our listeners and viewers were a little bit confused because uh, the RESPECT Act, Global RESPECT Act, sounds like a good thing. So tell us what it is and why it's not such a good thing. Absolutely. You know, unfortunately, a number of these bills are giving wonderful titles that really belie what it actually does. Um, you, you already noted the semantics of the bill. Um, and what that actually means is that it would really inappropriately reorient our U.S. foreign policy to disproportionately focus on uh, LGBT policies and quote-unquote LGBT rights, uh, which could potentially alienate allies and displace attention from where it needs to go on religious liberty and other human rights abuses, as you were even just discussing, you know, the State Department should be focusing on the fallout of the withdrawal from Afghanistan. You have uh, the Olympics that are highlighting the atrocities against the Uyghurs right now. You have Russia that, you know, could be invading Ukraine. These are the issues that should be the focus of the State Department, not winning political points on LGBT uh, agenda. So you've kind of touched on a couple of the bad points, but why is the bill actually dangerous, would you think? But up to this point, there has really been large bipartisan support 
for uh, religious liberty, particularly internationally. You know, when it comes to the domestic side, we've, we've seen the squabbles, we've seen uh, the disconnect, but we've not seen that internationally so much. Um, and now uh, this is an indicator of that happening. You know, the Bipartisan International Religious Freedom uh, Act of 1998 was passed to really elevate uh, religious liberty in our foreign policy. Um, and yet here we are potentially targeting our allies in the um, accompanying committee report. Uh, Poland was called out, as was Hungary, uh, two of our very important allies in Europe. Um, and you currently right now have a Finnish MP that is facing charges uh, criminal charges for basically speaking truth on the issues of human sexuality. And things like this are actually going to embolden actions similar to those against this MP, um, and it could really have devastating effects. Yeah, so tell us a little bit more about that Finnish MP. I, I've read a couple of stories about it. Give us a bit more detail on that. Right. Well, uh, it's the Finnish MP as well as a bishop. Uh, the MP wrote a piece basically explaining uh, her views and the church's views and what they should be on uh, the issues of human sexuality. And that has been claimed to be a hate crime. And so now the Finnish government is actually targeting her and the bishop who republished her piece. Um, and basically, it was just a restatement of uh, traditional beliefs when it comes to human sexuality as well as scientific fact. So uh, I'm just kind of going out on a limb here, but it sounds like the Global Respect Act would uh, sort of put that kind of thing on steroids, maybe not only here, but around the world. Is that a correct assumption? It very well could. You know, it, it sends an indication that the United States is going to be less likely to, to get involved potentially in these types of situations. And with this being a visa sanction, you know, if this MP were to try to seek uh, a, asylum for religious persecution, uh, would she be granted that visa? You know, it calls that into question. And it does, uh, in particular, I think one of our biggest concerns is the conflict that it would have with religious rights, correct? Absolutely. Um, you, you've seen what that has done domestically, um, and it could have severe effects internationally uh, and on the global stage uh, if we begin to, to divide and detract from uh, religious liberty. One of the things we always like to do when we talk about an issue or a problem like this is also present a potential solution. So what can listeners and viewers do? Is there something that, that, that folks who are watching uh, can do to help uh, prevent this thing from getting passed? Absolutely. The vote is tomorrow morning. Uh, around 1030 is when the vote should start, but vote series lasts a while. So before tomorrow morning, uh, we have an alert set up where individuals can let their congressmen know that they oppose this bill and want them to vote no. They can go to frcaction.org slash true human rights. That's frcaction.org slash true human rights to let their representative know how they feel about this bill. So this is in the House side right now, correct? Correct. This is over in the House side um, and would still need to be passed by the Senate. Okay, and we'll give that, I want you to give that uh, URL, that address one more time here in just a minute before we, uh, before we leave this segment. Uh, sure. If members of Congress really wanted to do something to promote human rights, what are some of the other things they could be doing? Uh, have about uh, 30 seconds here, Mary Beth. 
uh, getting involved in what's going on with this Finnish MP. You know, a letter has been sent that a number of members signed on to uh, urging the ambassador at large on international religious freedom to get involved. There's a current letter that is being led by Chip Roy uh, to the MP and the bishop to give them support on this. Um, and so that those little actions can go a long way in these uh, real consequences. And that URL, once again, is frcaction.org slash truehumanrights. Very good, frcaction.org. And there it is on the screen, slash truehumanrights. Uh, it would be good to get involved. Mary Beth, thanks a lot. Good to have you. Thank you. Well, coming up next, China is reportedly keeping Olympic athletes who test positive for COVID in unreasonable quarantine conditions and feeding them lousy food to boot. I think they're giving them boots to eat. Is it giving people a glimpse into how China treats those they consider to be on the fringe? We'll talk about this after the break with a great guest. Don't go away. Making the most of your money. Here's Dan Celia. Do you lease a car or purchase a car? That's a good question. And it's one that is always asked. But look, here's the deal on a car. If you lease a car, it's a wonderful thing. You don't have to take the money out of your savings to put down. You can just walk in, get the lease. Sometimes the payment is pretty reasonable. And you can drive the car as long as you don't drive a lot, because if you put a lot of miles on a car, a lease is not even an option. Here's what on it. You buy it and drive it till it turns to dust. So if you're going to drive it till it turns to dust, then you need a car, obviously, that's going to last a long time. And you need a car that you don't have to turn in at the end of five years to get a new one so that you are perpetually paying some sort of car payment for the rest of your life. Purchase a car. Purchase a used car, whatever it takes. But obviously, the ideal thing is to purchase a car that is one that you can pay for almost in cash or in cash and keep it as long as you possibly can. That makes the most sense, in my opinion. I like the idea of someday getting rid of a car payment. If you do have to finance it, at least there's a light at the end of the tunnel. In a lease, there is no light. The only thing that you have to look forward to is taking on another new payment. Yes, you get a new car, but you also get a new payment. You never get ahead. You never gain more discretionary income that you can spend or save because you have that payment. Purchase a car, pay your payments, and at the end, keep it as long as you possibly can. Experience Dan Celia in person. Find a faith, family, and finance town hall meeting or seminar near you at afafoundation.net. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Evan Fowler with Bot Radio Network sitting in today for Tony Perkins. And as always, glad you're watching and listening. Over the course of this week and next, this show is going to devote a segment to highlight the human rights abuses of the Chinese Communist Party. We're calling it Human Rights on Ice. Well, 
Hill. In today's segment of Human Rights on Ice, we're going to head into the quarantine hotels where Olympic athletes are being sent after testing positive for COVID. And according to the athletes, China is keeping them in unreasonable quarantine conditions. And obviously this is very hard for me. So I ask you all to give me some time to consider my next steps because I'm not sure I can handle 14 more days and the Olympic competition while being in this isolation. Grief. That's just so sad, and that's happening. Uh, that's happening to Olympic athletes. Uh, what what the, the the Chinese are doing is just unconscionable. That was Belgian Olympic athlete Kim Milemans, and I'm not sure if I pronounced her name correctly, uh, who posted that tearful reaction to being placed in isolation. She was freed after that video went viral. Well, what can we draw from China's treatment of Olympic athletes? Joining me now to talk about this is China expert Gordon Chang, and we're so glad to have him on the program. He's the author of The Coming Collapse of China and the Great U.S.-China Tech War. He can be found on Twitter at, at Gordon G. Chang. Gordon, welcome back to the program. Great to have you. Thank you so much, Evan. So uh, give us an update on what you know. We, we've been seeing a lot of this going on in the media. We've heard about these athletes, now hundreds of them who have so supposedly tested positive, no doubt using Chinese testing kits. Uh, so what's going on from your perspective? A number of things, Eben. First of all, um, China is harvesting the DNA of some of the world's uh, most athletic humans, some of the best humans, best performers. Uh, and they're doing this because they want to develop biological weapons. Chinese military researchers have been talking about, quote, specific ethnic genetic attacks. In other words, pathogens that will leave the Chinese immune, but sicken and kill everybody else. And they need foreign DNA to do it. They also need DNA to build super soldiers. So they're taking DNA from the world's best athletes and, and so this is really an horrific exercise. But going back to what we were just talking about before, the other thing they're doing is they are making it very difficult for certain competitors to actually do well at the Olympics. And what they have done in China is use a more sensitive uh, COVID-19 test than the IOC wanted. But the IOC caved in on that. So a lot of people have now been thrown into quarantine where they're in facilities which are so small, they can't exercise. They get inadequate food. They get the same food for every single meal. And, and this really is an attempt, I think, to make sure that China does well in the medal count. Well, you know, uh, cheaters... Cheaters never win, but at least they don't really win. And this sounds like an awful lot of cheating going on. And I read an article, it was this morning, as a matter of fact, Gordon, uh, where the, the headline essentially was asking the question, are the Chinese doing this to throw the Olympics their way? What do you think? I think certainly that is the case. When these Olympics are over, we will have the statistics on the number of foreign athletes that have been put into quarantine versus the number of Chinese athletes. And I think that we will find a great disparity in that. And that will be evidence of an intent to cheat, to disadvantage foreign athletes, because Beijing puts a lot of stock in the total medal count. And we saw that, for instance, last year at the 2021 
used should have been 2020, but the 2021 Tokyo Summer Olympics. Now, those Olympics were delayed a year because of COVID-19, and the IOC, for a number of reasons, should have delayed these Olympics as well because we have outbreaks of both Delta and the Omicron variants throughout China, and Omicron is in Beijing itself. Wow. So uh, you probably heard the comments from Nancy Pelosi the other day. They were in the news quite a bit where she was encouraging our athletes not to uh, not to criticize the Chinese. Uh, what do you make of that? I don't know what was in Nancy Pelosi's head. Um, it could have been that she wanted to just help the Communist Party. Could have been that she was concerned about the safety of the athletes. But whatever was in her head, the one thing we know is that China is not safe for anybody especially Olympic athletes. And the game should not have been held in China because of that. We know of the problems with Peng Shui, the three-time Olympian who was disappeared on November 30 because she posted an accusation of rape against a former senior leader and his wife. So we know that China is just not a safe place for anyone. The Olympics should not have been held there. And that's the main takeaway from Speaker Pelosi's comments. By the way, um, she has lost the support of Al Sharpton on those comments, who is normally her supporter. And that's a real indication that whatever her intention was, even it really came out wrong. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Gordon, uh, it, it's uh, such a privilege to have you on the program and lend your expertise to this. I learned a couple of things I didn't know about the like the DNA I mentioned. That's uh, that's pretty frightening, as a matter of fact. So thank you so much. Thanks for being here today with us. Thank you, Eben. Well, coming up next, we'll talk about a piece of legislation that's been proposed in the great state of Missouri with Missouri State Representative Susie Pollock after the break. Right here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. Stay right with us. Today, moral relativism and political correctness are assaulting truth. How can the world have hope when believers themselves aren't clear on the authority of the Bible? The Church of Jesus Christ always faces a tremendous temptation to deviate from the Word of God. The God who speaks clearly expresses God's intent in giving us His Word and the response that is demanded of those who hear. Nobody ever encounters God and says, that was boring and irrelevant. When people say that about the Bible, it just says to me they've not encountered the God of the Bible. Our faith is rooted in history, and, and consequently we need to use the evidence and never be afraid of it. The God Who Speaks is a feature-length documentary from the American Family Association which could bolster your confidence in the Word of God. Churches really need to see this, really need to understand what the Bible actually is. Available now at thegodwhospeaks.org. AFR programming is now available on Alexa. You're joking, right? Nope, not joking. Seriously? Yep, this is not a drill. Wait a minute, no way. There's a way, the Alexa way. So if you just happen to miss your favorite shows, no worries. You can now listen to each podcast with Alexa. It's simple and it's free. Just visit AFR.net forward slash apps and click Alexa. We're not joking. Hello, I'm Sam Rohr. 
President of the American Pastors Network, a growing national network of pastors committed to the authority of Scripture and preaching the whole counsel of God. We believe biblical obedience is the foundation for revival and impacting our culture for Christ is our duty. For too long, the pulpits of America have been silent on the important issues such as marriage and family and assault on our liberty. Join us in the battle for truth on Stand in the Gap weekend, Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. on American Family Radio, and visit us at AmericanPastorsNetwork.org. Hi, I'm Steve Tiber with 8 Days of Hope. 8 Days of Hope exists to love and serve those in need. Over the past 15 years, over 40,000 volunteers have helped 7,000 families rebuild their homes for free after natural disasters. We've also renovated and rebuilt facilities to bring hope and healing to those rescued from sex trafficking. Our rapid response ministry is busier than ever. With 40 deployments over the last four years, we've been able to minister to so many when it mattered most. It's completely free to serve with us. We provide your food and lodging when you volunteer. There's countless opportunities for any skill set and any skill level. We spend multiple weeks with those that have lost so much by cutting trees, tarping roofs, mucking out houses, and so much more. Consider joining us on our next outreach. You will never be the same. For more information about 8 Days of Hope, please go to 8daysofhope.com. That's 8daysofhope.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch, the final segment for this Tuesday. Evan Fowler here uh, from Watt Radio Network, sitting in for Tony, and uh, glad to have you here with us today. Well, the introduction of the SAFE Act in the Missouri House of Representatives is what we're going to be talking about. If you're a regular listener or viewer of Washington Watch, you will recall that Family Research Council has been championing the SAFE Act, also known as the Save Adolescents from Experimentation Act, It protects minors from harmful, experimental, and irreversible gender transition procedures. Well, earlier today, the state of Missouri was presented with its version of this important legislation. And with me to talk about this is the Missouri legislator who is leading the way on this in her state, Representative Susie Pollack. Uh, Susie, thanks for joining us today. So good to have you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, tell us a little bit about what the SAFE Act is about, what it does, first of all. So it saves adolescents from experimentation, which uh, is, so it uh, stops gender, puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, or gender-confirming surgery for adolescents under the age of 18. And, you know, we have a gender clinic here in our state and they are treating children as young as six years old with puberty blockers. And those drugs have terrible lifelong uh, negative effects. I, I'm a cardiovascular specialist. And so uh, the cardiac issues, uh, just the terrible um, side effects to those drugs and surgery have to be stopped. We have to protect our children. Well, you know, I was going to ask you why you decided to introduce the bill, and now that, that you tell me that you're a cardiovascular specialist, so are you a physician? Is that correct? No, no. I work in the cardiac cath lab with the cardiologist. Okay. So uh, let's get into a little bit of medicine here, if you don't mind, and tell us what some of the impacts are for these, for the different things, the puberty blockers, uh, those sorts of things. What kind of impacts do they have on a young person, both short-term and long-term? 
Right. So the puberty blockers, you know, they say it just postpones puberty. And we know that puberty is not easy or fun to go through for anybody. Um, but there are so many things that happen with natural puberty. Uh, that's when all of our growth, that's when so many bodily functions develop and those hormone surges um, God made no mistakes when he created us and it's phenomenal the way that our bodies work and any interruption in that can cause stunted growth, cardiovascular disease, all kinds of problems and irreversible infertility. So in my view, uh, doctors who are involved in this kind of treatment, I think are practicing medical malpractice. And I, I heard somebody refer to this and made a comparison with frontal lobotomies that used to be done supposedly to help with who knows what sorts of conditions, but that, that we will look back on this kind of treatment of young people or of anybody for that matter, the way we look at uh, the ridiculousness of committing frontal lobotomies on people. Uh, yes. Would you agree with that assessment? I completely agree with that. And you know, the, Experts in the field, the endocrinologists that don't agree with this new scope of practice they're doing, um, they've been silenced through this whole process. And that is so sad that, you know, they just silence the ones that have been doing this for 30 or 40 years. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. Well, all right, tell us a little bit about the bill. Break it down and explain what it does, what it will do. Now, this is not the first bill of this nature in the country. I understand no. uh, the state of Arkansas also has introduced or maybe has passed such a bill. But tell us what it does. What kind of restrictions does it uh, place? So it just stops it. It makes it illegal to practice um, giving children cross-sex hormones, puberty blockers, or any kind of surgery. And currently, they don't do any kind of surgery in the state of Missouri, but it's not in law. And so I really want to get that in law and protect children because who knows what where things can progress to and what they'll be trying next because all of this is experimentation. So it also stops um, insurance carriers from having to cover these experiments and it um, protects taxpayers from paying for it also. Absolutely. Well, uh, what kind of support or opposition are you seeing in Missouri to the SAFE Act that you've introduced? Well, so I have filed two bills prior to this in the two previous years. So um, I just filed this bill today. I'm sure the opposition will be rolling out really fast. But um, we had a great event last night. I was able to um, have FRC come to Missouri and educate about 30 other uh, representatives and a senator and the secretary of state. And it was a phenomenal event with great uh, education and talking points given and the whole background. And I already have five co-sponsors and I just filed it at like 10:45 today. 
Wow, that's great. Well, you know, we have a lot of viewers and listeners in Missouri. So uh, just uh, take a moment, if you would, to explain. Now, I know the legislative process, as you well know, and many others know, is kind of like making sausage. And it sometimes is not a, a pretty process. And things go back and forth. And it can get quite confusing and esoteric. And it's hard for uh, folks who are just trying to uh, feed their families to keep track of. So what can yes. uh, folks who are who are listening and who are concerned that this bill pass and that this malpractice be stopped in the state of Missouri, what can they do? They can contact their representative and their senator and ask them to please support um, House Bill 2649 and they can co-sponsor they can uh, help me talk to the Speaker of the House and get it referred to committee right away, and then uh, urge the floor leader to get it brought to the floor right away. The faster we move, the better, and let's protect kids in Missouri. Absolutely. Well, Susie, thank you so much. We have a coming up, and Susie, if you can hang on, uh, just sort of stay back there in case we might want to call you back here for a moment. But sure. uh, to our producers, I don't know if we can do that. I'm not not sure if I'm asking for something I shouldn't. But uh, we have another guest coming up uh, to talk about some good news, kind of along the same lines. And uh, we're going to be talking with Pastor Steve Viers. He's the senior pastor of Faith Church in Lafayette, Indiana. Uh, so the West Lafayette City Council withdrew withdraws the council. Van. That's kind of the headline here. Uh, I want to turn our attention to that particular news item. Again, West Lafayette, Indiana. Last month, uh, we highlighted how local leaders there have been plotting to pass a radical ordinance that would crush churches and local ministries who are involved in biblical counseling. Now, uh, biblical counseling often refers to, of course, that covers a wide range of different things that counselors do who are biblically based. That one of them is also talking with people who are dealing with issues of sexuality, same-sex attraction, uh, gender confusion, that kind of thing. And, and I think that's sort of where the hot spot is. So we have an update on the story from West Lafayette. Joining me now to give us the latest is Dr. Steve Viers. He's the senior pastor of Faith Church in West Lafayette, Indiana. Steve, uh, thanks for joining us here on Washington Watch. Great to have you. Hey, Evan, thank you very much for having me tonight. We're having a celebration in West Lafayette right now, just thanking the Lord for his protection over our churches. And so we're glad to share that good news with your listeners. All right. Well, let's, uh, let me ask you just to scoot up to your mic just a little bit better so we can hear you better. But tell us about the good news. Give us the detail on what happened there. Well, um, last night, the city council actually um, pulled their ordinance and they decided they did not have enough support. And then what happened, and it's somewhat unfortunate, but we actually brought some uh, lawyers into the picture. Barnes and Thornburg, one of the largest law firms in the state of Indiana, was willing to take our case. And um, they presented a letter to the city council explaining them that this was constitutionally invalid on its face. If it faced a lawsuit, it would likely lose. And that would cost the city a lot of money. That's not the way our church likes to do business. We like to love our community. We don't like to sue our community, but we were in a situation where they were proposing an ordinance that would have criminalized gospel ministry to minors. You know, Jesus said, permit the children to come unto me and don't hinder them. Regrettably, our city council was saying, we're going to stop children from coming to Jesus. We're going to stop them from hearing the gospel, stop them from hearing the word of God. 
And we felt like we had to stand up on that issue. We had to stand up for free speech. We had to stand up for religious liberty. We had to stand up for the separation of church and state. And, you know, Jesus promised he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And by God's grace, that's what happened here in West Lafayette. You know, I know you just jumped on here a moment before we started talking with you, uh, our a previous guest who's actually still uh, holding on here and listening. Uh, Susie Pollack is a uh, representative from the state of Missouri, and they're about ready to introduce something called the SAFE Act, which is uh, the, an act that would prevent doctors from, uh, you know, giving cross-sex hormones, uh, although apparently in the state of Missouri they're not doing this uh, very damaging and irreversible surgery uh, to young men and young women. Uh, but my, and, and since you mentioned children, I'm guessing that uh, part of the counseling you're talking about is when young people come to you with some kind of uh, gender confusion. Is that right? Well, this particular ordinance was aimed at minors and it was also discussing non-licensed counselors. We don't want to be licensed because we don't want the state to interfere with our ability to teach the word of God. So this is only the second time in the United States that an ordinance like this had been um, attempted, but it was focused on minors. And remember, biblical counseling, we don't coerce people. Um, they come to us, even as children. And there's plenty of children in West Lafayette and everywhere else who believe in God and who believe in his word. And when they have a question about human sexuality, when they have some uh, question about gender dysphoria or whatever it might be, they want to speak with a counselor who shares their religious convictions. Here in West Lafayette, had that ordinance passed, that would have been criminalized. Children would not have been able to speak to a counselor that had the same religious convictions that they shared. That's how outrageous this particular ordinance was. And, and we had to stand up even for the kids in our community. Uh, again, it's not by coercion. They come to us. Their parents come to us. But if they want to talk about these things from the word of God, they need to have the freedom to speak that way. So how did this ordinance, and give us a little bit more, you've told us a little bit about what it was about, but who introduced it? What was the motivation? And essentially, what was the crux of the content of that ordinance that failed? Well, it was introduced by a, a professor over at Purdue University. And I believe it started about a year and a half ago when some students came to them and asked them to pursue a conversion therapy ban um, aimed at licensed counselors. And the challenge legally is the state of Indiana has not yet passed a conversion therapy ban and very well may never do that. And since licensed counselors are governed by the state, not a local municipality, our city government was not able to do what the students asked them to do. Then after doing some research, they learned that there was one other ban that had already been passed in the United States and State College, Pennsylvania, aimed at non-licensed counselors. And so I think for at least most of them, they just thought they were trying to protect children. They were just going along with what people said was best. I don't know that at least for most of them, they had faith-based counselors on their radar screen. We have the largest group of uh, non-licensed counselors in this community. There's 32 of us a number of medical doctors and professors and pastors and godly men and women who provide free biblical counseling services to people in our town every week. I'm not sure at the beginning most of them knew that. But then when we tried to discuss with them how this would, in essence, criminalize our biblical counseling ministry, they hunkered down. And that's regrettable. I wish this could have been done in a much more transparent fashion. I wish we could have done it collegially. 
think we could have worked some things out. We actually offered um, an amendment that had strong religious um, protection. They turned that down. And by that point in the conversation, it became very clear to us that they did not want biblical counseling offered to children in these situations. And we said, we, we believe in the sufficiency of the scripture. We believe in free speech. We believe in religious liberty. Therefore, when children or their parents want to hear from the word of God, we have to have the privilege um, to continue to teach in that way. And, and so, you know, it basically came down to, um, we're not going to be intimidated by the government. We're not gonna be silenced by the government. It even became an Acts 529 issue for us. We, we must obey God rather than men. And, and we had to have some pointed conversations with our city council. And, and we essentially said to them, we already have a God and it's not you. So, so we don't want your approval. We don't need your approval. And I explained to our city council, I tried to be as sweet as I could, but I told them that if they passed this ordinance, it would be our stated goal to disobey it every day, hopefully before breakfast, because we have to teach the gospel. That's what we're called upon to do as a Bible-believing church. Well, Steve, I, I just I want to take a moment and just uh, commend you and your church and your staff for taking a stand, because we, we're not hearing enough of that. And this should be an example, uh, folks who are listening and watching uh, what this church has done, they've taken a, a biblical stand in their community, and they are not standing for this kind of restriction on biblical counseling. So, Pastor, I just want to commend you and thank you so much for, for what you've done. Well, the battle belongs to the Lord, and so we want him to receive all the glory for this. If folks want to see what we did, they could go to freedomlafayette.org. There's a website there with all sorts of resources because this is coming to a theater near you. We, we really right. believe these are gonna pop up all over the place. And so that information is at that website, just hey, to help freedomlafayette.org. And we're, we, have to, uh, we have to leave now, Steve. Pastor Steve Viers, Senior Pastor of Faith Church Lafayette, Indiana, thanks again. Well, thanks for listening to Washington Watch today. Great having you along. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 